Thank the, for, the God for the worship team. Such a wonderful worship this morning. You can all agree. We want to thank God for, for the ushers. You see that they dress very nice and professional and, and take their job seriously. We want to thank God for everybody that we don't see in this room, that they're teaching our children, preparing and, and taking time to teach the children. We want to thank God for the, the people in the, the kitchen making all the good smells for our lunch. Um, if you're new here, if this is your first time, I encourage you to stay after the sermon and join us for our lunch, our lunch fellowship. We will eat here in this room. We'll clear out all the chairs, bring tables in, and we'll have enjoy lunch together. Um, if it Also, uh, you know, it's, it's, it really blesses my heart when I see people find something that they are good at doing and able to serve in that way. Um, you know, one young brother, he God, God gifted, gave him the talents to be able to, um, you know, uh, like to do the things with video. So he, he said, hey, you know, I, I'd like to start recording the sermons and put them up online. So now they're, now they're online. Uh, another, another brother, you know, he, he joined the church recently and he likes to cook. So he's, he's helping um, cooking, you know, with, with the cooking. And then m- many others that, that I see people joining with the, the children's ministry and the ushering and, and the worship. If you're interested in, in trying out one of these things, um, you can get in, get in contact with me and I will help direct you to the, the right person or any of other, other of the, the elders in this church. You, you have a, a, a role to play. We all work together to build God's kingdom. Amen? Amen. I want to give, a, give an opportunity for some testimony this morning because God is doing great things in his church. Amen? Amen. Um, I, I, would you, Neil, would you mind to share about uh, the trip to San Diego just, just to give everybody an update about, about what's going on? Uh, just last weekend, we had a chance to go to San Diego, and, and the group of people there were really hungry for God, and they, they're really desiring to, to start a, a, a fellowship and a church down there. So we, they um, uh, are really hungry. We spend a lot of time all, all the way up to, I don't know what time late we went the first night. By like 11.30 at night, we were teaching and um, uh, helping with, with the 18 lessons, you know, helping them to understand about foundation and and then Sunday morning, um, amazingly, that God gave them a, a church building. Uh, so it was the first time they had the service there. And, and the, the pastor there gave them the sound system, gave them the kitchen. And they have a place to eat. All, I think it was for free, but I think they'll, they'll maybe, maybe pay for some of it. But it's just amazing how God worked out everything for them. And the first time, there was 35 people there. So the... The first week was seven, the, the next week was 14, and then there was 35 there. And so pretty amazing that, that God is really wanting to do a work down there. Okay. Uh, praise the Lord. Um, I guess what came to my mind is the scripture that says that, you know, the Lord shall build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And uh, you know, one thing the Lord spoke to myself and Neil when we were down there that we encourage him with is to not look down on the days of small beginnings. That's, that's a scripture in the Old Testament. But God is looking at the heart. You know, the Bible says that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And just like Neil said, they're hungry for God. They, ha- they have a desire to share about who Jesus is. And uh, I think... I think we heard last week um, some of the brothers shared about when they went, went down to the revival services. But I, I have to say that um, we were more encouraged and blessed by what we see in their hearts and what the Lord is doing down there. And we see again that uh, it's just the simple childlike faith. You know, that's what we need to have. Some, You know, I, actually the gospel is very simple. It says that, you know, you need to have faith as a little child to receive it. And sometimes we like to be so sophisticated and... 
you know, so deep and everything, but it says, you know, childlike faith, so simple that even a child can receive it. And, and that's what we saw in their hearts, is that they have a childlike faith and a love for the Lord and a desire for the kings of God and, and to do what, be obedient to the Great Commission, which is to go out and preach the gospel. And so we were very inspired, we were very encouraged by their lives and just to see how they're willing to allow the Lord work in their lives. And, and we believe that, you know, a great work shall come from this. Also, uh, we had one one sister who came back from uh, a couple months in in China, and I uh, I don't know if she she wants to come up to share by herself, or I I can recap. <laughs> I guess I, I'll 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 recap because I kind of uh, it's last minute. But um, basically, she shared that while she was there in 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 Shanghai for about a couple months that she would had the opportunity to visit four different churches, two house churches, uh, the international church, which is just the foreigners and also the, the state uh, sponsored church. And she said that in, in every meeting that she went to, there's is, is completely full. And in, in, in one, one church, she said there were four services on, on Sunday. I think that must've been the, the official church. And then, Four services, there's no room in every service. So the, the gospel is really going forward. And um, people are, are hungry for God. And where there is hunger for God, then God pours out, pours out his blessing. Also, something that encouraged me is that these Christians, Christians in, in China, they have a, a burden. God has given them a commission to evangelize all of the countries along the, the Silk Road between China and Jerusalem. This movement is called the, the Back, to, Back to Jerusalem movement. And as far as I know, it's not sponsored by any denomination or, or um, organization, but it's really because I don't think there's any uh, denominations in, in China proper. The government doesn't doesn't allow that, so there's a lot of um, house church networks and, and things like this. But the Chinese Christians have a desire to bring the gospel to the people who need it most. And to be honest, I was very convicted to see their attitude towards the Islamic world because they don't see the, the people that live in those lands as enemies or as threats to their way of life but they see them as the people that need Jesus. And so they're studying Arabic. They're working to get jobs that can allow them to go into those countries because they want to fulfill the Great Commission. You know, it's a real uh, challenge, you know, to me and, and to you because we, we live in, in a country where we have religious freedom and we have uh, a lot of material resources, and your blue American passport can get you to, into almost any country in the world. Um, you know, it, it, it reminded me of uh, something I read in the commentary by Matthew Henry. He was uh, an English um, pastor who wrote a commentary uh, long time ago, in the early 1700s, and he was writing on the parable of the workers in the vineyard, where the, the master goes to the marketplace to find workers to send into his vineyard. And he calls some in at 6 a.m., 9 p.m., 12 p.m., 3 p.m., and then 5 p.m. And then at 6 p.m., at the end of the day, then he pays them all each a day's wage. And the ones who are working in the, who were called since the early morning, they're, what, what? Why, why do you give the people at 5 p.m. the same as you give us? And the master said, it's my money. I gave you what I agreed on. I gave you a day's wages. I choose to be generous to these other people. You have nothing to complain about. And it's, it's, this is what Matthew Henry wrote. He said, after he he explained, you know, the expository thing. Then he kind of wrote something extra that I think is prophetic. He says, who knows? 
but that the church in its old age may be more fat and flourishing than ever, to show that the Lord is upright. Though primitive Christianity had more of the purity and power of that holy religion than is to be found in the degenerate age wherein we live, yet what laborers may be sent into the vineyard in the eleventh hour of the church's day, in the Philadelphian period, and what plentiful effusions of the spirit that may, that th- may then be above what has been yet, who can tell? So Matthew Henry, writing at that time, I think he, God was speaking through his pen prophetically that the pouring out of the Spirit is going to be even greater in the last day and that God is just going to open up his grace and send people out in, in, to work in his vineyard. And the, we who you know, may be so proud of, of our heritage and, and everything, we are going to be humbled at that day because God's going to take new people and he's going to call them into his vineyard and he's going to give them abundant grace. Wow, it's, it's, uh, it's encouraging to think, you know, um, that we are living, I believe, in this 11th hour and God is moving mightily in, in the world. Just wanted to encourage you all with that. I, am, I was very encouraged. Today I want to share with you um, from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. And before before we start with the the word, I'd just like to say a word of prayer. Father God, please be here, Lord, and speak through me and open our hearts to hear from you. Lord, we, we want the reality of who you are, your word, to work in this place, to operate. Father God, we welcome you in, Lord. Father, we come with a sincere desire to hear from you. Not that just that you touch our mind, Father God, but that you touch our hearts and you change us. We welcome you to do this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In Deuteronomy 8, starting at verse 1, it says, Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with himana, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. This is a very encouraging uh, word to me that, uh, and, and, and to my wife, and that we've, we've kept it in our minds um, for for a, a long time that God is always with us and he never abandons or leaves us. And that even when we go through difficulties in our lives, he has a good purpose in it. We need to talk about what's going on in this scene. In Deuteronomy, pretty much the the bulk of Deuteronomy, God has led the Israelites through the desert for 40 years. They've come to the, the banks of the River Jordan. And Moses is addressing the, the Israelites. He knows that he's not allowed to go into the promised land. He's going to leave them to be with God. And he's talking to them one last time. And he's reminding them of all the instruction that God has, has given to them through him. And, and he's 
He's just telling them again. And again and again, he says, be sure to follow the instruction that I'm, I gave, I've given to you. So um, 40 years earlier, actually, God had wanted to bring the Israelites into the promised land. His original purpose was not for them to wander around into the desert. But what happened was that they sent 12 spies in, and 10 of those spies came back with a bad report. They said, yes, the land is great, but there are giants there. And we looked like grasshoppers in their eyes and in our own. And they have high walls, strong walls around their cities. There's no way we can do it. But Joshua and Caleb, they rent their clothes. They said, no, the land is good. And we certainly can do it because God will be with us. However, the the Israelites rebelled against God. That was the rebellion. And so God said, None of this generation is going into the promised land. Only Joshua and Caleb, because they, they had the, the, the spirit that they could to obey God. So Moses is, is repeating this same thing again and again to the Israelites. He says, be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord has promised on oath to your ancestors. He said, be careful to follow everything. Actually, do you know the first name for Christians was not Christians. They were named Christians in in the book of Acts, but before that, they were named, they were called the followers of the way in Acts 9, 9 verse 2. It says that Saul went to find all of the followers of the way and put them into prison. So the, that Christians are called to, be, to do the same way, to, to follow after God's will and God's instruction. Paul, he says in Galatians, how can we fulfill the laws of God by following his spirit? If we try to do it by our human effort, by following a, 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 a legal code, then we're going to fail. In fact, that only amplifies our sinful nature. But he says, if you follow the Spirit, you're going to, there's no no law against that. No law is going to come against you because you're naturally going to be fulfilling God's requirements. The purpose of following God's instruction is health. Moses, he says, so that you may live life, health, and increase prosperity. God wants to bless his people. His general intention, his general will, is that his people be prosperous and successful, not sick and in poverty. Also, he said that you may enter the land and possess it. So he had given them a vision, and he wanted them to fulfill it. As God's people here in in this congregation, God has given us a vision somewhere where we want to go. We ought to keep moving towards that vision to fulfill that vision. You see what happened with the Israelites when they stopped following God's vision. They went into the land and the Bible says in in the book of Judges that all during the generation uh, when Joshua was alive and after that they, they followed God's way, they went to take over the land, but the generation after them settled down. And then they, they stopped driving out the, the other nations to take complete control of the land. And they settled down, and then they, they lost the vision. They stopped following the vision. And so what happens is they, they compromised, and then they, 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 uh, God allowed the other nations to... to um, to take to rule and and to take them uh, make oppress them. Sorry. So, anyways, uh, we cannot compromise the vision that God has given us. You know, thank thank God that 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 we we have a pastor who's has a lot of energy inside of him. You know, he's got a, like the the Paul. He said, with all his energy, which works so powerfully in me. 
And I think the same energy is in our pastor, Pastor Lau. He's like a nuclear reactor, you know, just throwing out, out energy, you know. So it's, uh, it's the same way. And he's following after that vision. We should follow him even as he is following Christ. Amen. We all should follow after the, the vision that God has given to our church. What is that, is that vision? To build glorious churches here in Seattle and all over the world according to the, according to the Spirit, the guidance of the Spirit. God has actually opened up many doors for us to in um, Southern California. We're helping the church in Phoenix. Um, you know, uh, opened up a huge door of work for us in, in Thailand. You know, these, these are the, the ways that God's leading our church right now. You know, all of us, we um, get work together, work as a team to fulfill the vision that God has called us to. Let's look at verse 2, chapter 8, verse 2. Remember the Lord, how the Lord your God led you all the way in this wil- the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. So after, after Moses told them, you know, follow, remember, make sure to follow, then he says, remember what God did these 40 years. Remember all the, the trials and, and sufferings and, and difficulties you went through these 40 years. The number 40 in the Bible is associated with, you know, um, uh, testing and trial. The, there was 40 days and nights of rain, right, when Noah was in the ark. The Israelites were in the desert for 40 years. Moses was exiled from Egypt for 40 years before God called him. He called him when he was 80. So it's not like the prince of Egypt where he's still a young guy, you know. <laughs> he was 80. So I don't think anybody here is 80, right? Is anybody older than 80 here? Who knows? God may call you, use you to... Preach. Um, Moses says, reflect on what has happened to you, to you these 40 years. Jesus fasted in the desert for 40, 40 days, right? In Ecclesiastes, it says, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It doesn't mean that we need to mourn all the time or never have a party. But what it means is that if we're wise, then we will, we will be, be thinking about how, what we can learn and what God is teaching us through, through difficulties in our lives. You know, sober-minded. Sober you know, facing the reality of, of sin and the destruction that sin brings. You know, I, in, in, my, in my short experience, um, you know, working in the church, I have the you know, opportunity to help people and, and uh, counsel people when th- difficult things are going on in their lives. And one thing that I've learned is that everybody, there is no such thing as, as a perfect life, uh, you know, unless you're, you're totally following God. Because everybody has problems. So the house of, heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. We, if we want wisdom to have wise hearts, then we can reflect on the experiences where God tests us and bring, brings us through the desert place in our lives. Maybe some of you are going through a, like the desert place in, in, your, in your life. What can you learn from it? Moses, he teaches, he says, remember these three things. First, how God tested you. He tested them in the desert. I don't know why God has to test us, but he does according to the Bible, many, many times. Actually, God knows our hearts, but he says that he has to test us in order to know what's in our hearts. I don't know why. You can ask God when you go to heaven. 
Maybe it's, it's for us. I don't know. Maybe I, I think it might be that when we make a decision to obey God in difficulty, in the midst of difficulty, it brings glory to him and it pleases him. When the chips are down and you decide to obey God, that pleases him. It brings glory to him. There's different things that we can um, see about, about testing. First is that God never intends to destroy us through testing. That's, he, he's, that's not his goal. His goal is for us to pass the test and to receive blessings from him. Right? So it, actually all of those um, periods of testing that we mentioned like Noah and Moses and the Israelites and Jesus, after the period of testing, God blessed them. God allowed, helped them in their vision to complete their vision. It was a time of preparation. Second thing is that when he tests us, he takes us out of our comfort zone. He pushes us. So testing for, for some of us may be in the area of discipline. We lack discipline in our lives. So that's where God tests us. Other things, we may, it may be fine. We, we, it may be easy. So he did, that, that's fine. But he needs to help us to be more disciplined in our lives. For other people, maybe it's um, love and forgiveness. We're very disciplined people, very organized, very capable. But we lack love and forgiveness. So God tests us in order to develop those areas in our life. Tests always seem painful and difficult. Hebrews chapter 12 says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. It's the same way maybe when children have to go to the dentist's office, right? They were like, oh, I don't want to go to the dentist's office. No, 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 no. But as a, as a parent, are you going to say, okay, fine. You don't have to go to the dentist's office. No. They're going to have cavities and their teeth are going to be falling out. It'd be terrible. You have to bring them to the dentist's office. That's just a, a, a small example that sometimes things are painful and difficult, difficult, but we have to go through them. He will not give us more than we can stand. He's not going to give you more than you can stand. You may think it feels like it, but he's pushing you and test, and so that you can grow. Testing may not seem fair. You say, God, this isn't fair. I know. It's not, it's not fair. Sometimes it's like, you know, but I already did this, and now you're bringing another thing on me. Or it's like, this is a good thing. Why can't I have it now? It's not fair. Sometimes testing doesn't seem fair. One, one of my uh, favorite, favorite books is a children's book, A Horse and His Boy. And it's about uh, an orphan named Shasta. And actually, he's the, he's the rightful heir of a kingdom, but he doesn't know that. He, he just thinks that he's an orphan. And he's running, running away. He was a slave. And he's running away from uh, this, this uh, country where the people are, are evil. And there's an there's a army coming up to destroy this land where, where he's going to. So he's trying to w- come and warn the king. And he's, uh, he's just crossed this vast desert and then had to trudge up these mountains. And then at the last at the very end, there's this huge lion that chases him for uh, uh, several miles. And he's completely spent by the time he, he gets to uh, this prophet's house. And he's, he says, are, are you the king? He says, no, I'm not the king. And the, the, the prophet says, look, your companions are wounded, your horses are spent, but you, there's still a chance that you can warn the king but you have to run now. You have to run straight up this path. And then this is what it, 
It says, Shasta's heart fainted at these words, for he felt he had no strength left. And he writhed inside at what seemed the cruelty and unfairness of the demand. He had not, let you, not yet learned that if you do one good deed, your reward usually is to be set to do another and harder and better one. Sometimes it seems that God's testing is not fair. But you don't realize that what God is preparing you for. In fact, um, in, in the book, uh, Aslan, who is a, a type of Jesus, is preparing this, this orphan boy to be, to be a king. And he has good things in store for him. But at the time, it seems that the testing that he needs to go through, the preparation is so unfair and cruel. Another thing we see about testing is that Paul used this method and prescribed this method to, for people for use in the church. He told Timothy, let deacons be tested first, then let them serve. In 2 Corinthians 2.9, he wrote to the Corinthians, he said, the command I gave you in earlier was to test you to know whether you would obey me. Paul used and prescribed testing in the church. I don't think uh, as you know, leaders in, in, in the church, we can never just give people arbitrary things like, hey, you, go, go do this just to see whether you'll do it or not. No, no. We have to always say the legitimate things, ask people to do the legitimate things. We're not doing it arbitrarily. But sometimes the legitimate things may be tests for us. And how we respond is, is, is a test. We can see that testing sometimes is a requirement for promotion. I believe that you can look at the example of Moses, right? He was a prince of Egypt, and he decided he's going to come and save his people, the Israelites. So what did he do? He murdered an Egyptian, God said he's not ready. So he, made, he had him go in the desert and be a shepherd for 40 years until he's 80 years old. And by then, he could, he could write down that he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. God had certainly humbled him after 40 years in the desert. It's a requirement for promotion. God tested Abraham to, to know... He asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Um, Jesus was tested in the desert. The Bible says that Jesus, in the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus learned obedience and was made perfect through suffering. Even though he was the son of God, he went through testing. The final thing is that when God tests us, he treats us as sons and daughters. This should be an encouragement to us because we know God treats us as sons and daughters. It's not like we're just his servants or you know, his employees or his soldiers, but we're his sons and his daughters. Um, someone wrote, I forgot who, but they said that every father is overjoyed at his son's first few steps. Papa. They first start walking. But no son, I mean, no father is ever satisfied until his son walks confidently, free and firm as a man. Right? It's the same way, we, that attitude that God has towards us. He's overjoyed whenever we make the first small steps towards him, but he's not satisfied. He's not stopping there. He wants to bring us to completion, to be like his son, Jesus Christ. So God treats us as sons and daughters. Testing is difficult. It requires courage. Sometimes you have to do 
uh, courageous things. My, I was watching Lord of the Rings with my, my daughter, and then I said, Cora, you see, Boromir, he had to have courage to, to fight the orcs, right? And she said, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, what, what, is, what is, is courage? Courage is not, not the, uh, an ignorance of danger, but it's an acknowledgement of danger and a, and a decision to, to overcome our fears and, and face, face that dangerous situation. Courage is not insanity, like being you know, blind to, to the situation. But courage is acknowledging the situation and making a decision to do a certain thing. Testing sometimes requires courage. We may not see the end result. We don't know where God is going to lead us. We may think that we ha- we're giving up our dreams, but have faith. The se- second thing that God is teaching them is humility. In verse 3, it says, He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna. He had to humble the, the Israelites. Our pastor has taught that, why does God humble us? so that we can receive grace from him. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When we are humble before God, we, re- we can receive grace from him. What did Paul write about his experience with this? He, he had some, something he described as a thorn in, in his flesh, that he prayed to God, please remove it. But God spoke to him, he said, No, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul said, very well then, I will rejoice in my weaknesses so that God's power may rest on me. God humbled him so that he could receive grace from from God. Let's look at forward in Deuteronomy chapter 8, forward a few uh, verses to verse 10 through 18. So Moses continues on talking to the Israelites, and he said, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord God, your God for the good land he has given you. If God gives you prosperity and health, praise God. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Again, he's reminding them. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Not that God is against prosperity or blessing us. No, that's his intention. But he wants us to remember his grace. He said, he led you through that va- the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that in the end, it might go well with you. Sometimes God allows difficulties and suffering in our life to humble us so that we can receive grace from him. We can learn to depend on him. And then the final thing that Moses told the Israelites that they could learn from their experience is that God would, was teach, would taught them through that. Verse, verses 3 through 5, chapter 8, verse, verses 3 through 5. It says, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. So God, God taught. First, he tested them. He humbled them. And he taught them. God taught the Israelites faith through their hardship. 
before, when they were in Egypt, their mind were, was just on worldly things, on unspiritual things alone. But God taught them through the desert that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In Exodus 16, verses 1 through 5, it says, The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the 50th, 15th day of the second month, after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If we, only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. That is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days so that they don't have to gather on the Sabbath. So God sent the... the in Exodus, it says that the manna came down like dew every morning. And then the Israelites got out and they gathered the, the, the manna. And they couldn't store it until the next day. Because if they tried to, it would rot and it would have maggots in it. So they had to go out and get new supplies every morning. The mercies of the Lord are new every morning. The mercies of the Lord. Manna from heaven that comes from God, that is our daily provision. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. The words from you, the provision from you, the mercy from you, that's what I count on. Not these pots of meat, not this bread that I can see, but what comes from you. The devil tempted Jesus. He said, "Turn if you're truly the son of God, Turn this stone into a rock. Jesus must have been very tempted. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. But Jesus said, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. When you are going through desert time in your life, remember, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What is the Lord teaching you? He's teaching you to depend on him, to be humble before him, to not just think about worldly things and physical things, but to see that God's word is reality. The Bible says that God spoke and the world was formed. God's word is powerful to create things. It has creative power. God's promises, or his, his words, should be like our daily bread. There's, there's many good benefits from memorizing the scriptures. Probably the most important benefit of memorizing the scriptures is that you have it internalized. His, word, his promises and his word internalized. Jesus said that, that the man who has been instructed in the word of God is like a, a man who brings out treasures from the storehouse, from his storehouse. So you have like a storehouse inside of you and you store God's word down there and then you can bring it out when you need it. You can, one, one uh, good one that's, that's deservedly famous is Psalm 23. The, um, the Lord is my shepherd. Just, I just known as Psalm 23. There was an English professor who was very anti-Christian in, at the UW and and I was in his class, and he he he's talked about the Lord uh, Psalm twenty three, and he said it was the Lord's prayer. And I, I should have said something at that time, like, "Excuse me, you're ignorant," <laughs> you know. <laughs> but but I, I I I didn't. <laughs> but anyways, that's besides the point. But the um, the Lord's prayer is another good one 
to remember. You know, give us to this day our daily bread, right? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You lead me beside quiet waters. You'd be, um, grasses, I, I forgot that part. I know it by song if I sing it. I'll, be, <laughs> but I'll, I'll spare you. Um, another, another good one is Psalm 126. Verses four to six. I, I, this is another one that 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 I, I store in my heart for the time when I'm going through difficulty. It says, "Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev, who sow with tears. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out with weep, weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy." carrying sheaves with them. It's, it's a good promise. God says that when you go through difficult times in your life, when you're on your knees, on the linoleum in the kitchen, or you're in your prayer closet and tears are st- streaming down your cheeks, if you call on God, if you depend on God, God is going to deliver you. He's, he's there to save you. These, it's good to read the scripture and, 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 and memorize the scripture. It's, it's the word for us every day. Amen? So I hope that, they, that uh, you will go home and, and read through Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 5 again. Meditate on it. Ask God to, to teach you more about it. Next, you, I'm sure all of you go through difficult periods from time to time. Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Jesus never said that we wouldn't have trouble in this world. In fact, I believe that when we follow God, we will have even more trouble than if we didn't. Because it's more difficult to swim upstream than to go with the tide. Right? But when you swim upstream, at least you know you're alive. If you're a dead fish, of course you're going to go with the tide. Right? But you're a live fish. You're going to go through difficulties and, and struggles in your life. But I want you to take heart. For Jesus has overcome the world. God will never leave you or abandon you. Amen. Let's let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Father God, Lord, you know exactly what people are going through, Lord. And in fact, you are the one here, Father God, speaking to us. Lord, I, I, I pray, Father God, that the words that we've read, the words that have been spoken, Lord, will produce a change in our hearts. And Father God, Lord, we, we really do humble ourselves before you, Father. But we acknowledge that by ourselves, we're nothing. But Lord, in you, we are your sons and daughters. And Father, when we go through difficulties, suffering, Lord, we know that you're testing us for our good. You're wanting us to grow. That you're humbling us, Lord, so that we can receive grace from you. And that you're teaching us good things, Father God. You're teaching us to know you more, Father God. Even as Paul said, he wanted to know you more. Father, thank you, Father God, that for what you're doing in our lives, Father. Lord, even though it may be something that nobody else sees, even we don't recognize it, Father God. But it's miraculous. It's your work in our lives. And that every day we can say that we have a relationship with the eternal God. Thank you, Lord. 
Lord, strengthen your people, Father, this morning. Thank you, Lord. Strengthen your church, Lord. Fill us up, Lord, so that streams of living water will overflow through us, Lord, to pour out and bless other people, Father God. Lord, even though we're pressed by outward circumstances, Lord, we're not crushed. Even though sometimes we're confused, Father God, by what's going on, Lord. But we know we find our, that you are our guide, Lord, as we keep our eyes fixed on you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, if, I mean, if anybody doesn't know the Lord, or you know you know you know about God but you want to make sure that you have the right relationship with God I want to give you an opportunity today to pray with me to invite Jesus into your heart as the the Lord and savior of your life father is a is a good father he's a perfect father and he's wants all of his sons and daughters to come back to him to come back home to live under his roof to be provided with good things at his table if you're a wandering son or daughter and you want to come back home I want to give you an opportunity. And please, please pray with me. Lord God, I want to come back home. I want to sit at your table. And I want to receive good things from you. I invite you into my heart to be my Savior and my Lord. I want to follow you. Teach me, Lord, every day to follow you. And help me send your Holy Spirit to fill me up and guide me every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Father God, Lord, I pray, Father, for everyone who said that prayer, Father, that they want to come back to you. Give them grace, Father God, as they humble themselves before you, Lord. Thank you, Father God. And for all of the rest of us, Father God, Lord, help us to receive strength from you, Father God, to strengthen our our knees and make our paths straight that we can walk in your ways, Lord. Thank you, Father God, for your grace, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Again, I want to encourage everyone to stay after for for the lunch fellowship. Um, Unless you want to go home for some game that's on TV. Heard about. But otherwise, encourage you to stay and eat. Amen.